guys, what's up? And welcome to another episode of Amy Weber Unleashed. I am your host, Amy Weber. Today was a rough one trying to get this guest to come into studio. I mean, it was literally like I had to drag him by whatever hair he has left after his last bad haircut. But I finally got my husband into studio. Yay. Yay. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I finally coerced you to come in, huh? I know. Are you nervous? I am. Why? It's me. I'm your wife. I know, but I don't know if you're going to pull out like this lie detector <laughs> kit. Am I going to get wires put on me? I'm on the spot. I'm the coolest wife ever. You yeah. have to admit that. I would I, never throw you under the bus in your in front of you. True, true. <laughs> behind your back. The best wife. Oh, thank you. You know, the reason why I wanted to have David on the show is because he actually has a pretty cool background story and how he became successful. Um, albeit the fact that I thought he was kind of a poor gay dude when I met him. Not because it was anything flamboyant, which listen, I love gay men. They're the most honest people like amazing people ever. They're just going to tell you like it is, whether you like it or not. But um, really, we talk about this a lot, about how it's just, I didn't feel like you were wanted anything from me. Like I was used to being around men that you could just tell that they had an ulterior motive. And you played it really cool. Thank you. Yeah, you did a really good job (laughs) with that. I had game, right? (laughs) Is I... Thank you. I guess you call it game. Well, yeah. you would just think when a guy meets a model like yourself, especially when we met, you were in your heydays. So you, you would just think as a male, that would be the first first instinct is they would want to sleep with you. Right. And that was the opposite. You didn't want to sleep with me? Not that day. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> was it something I was wearing? Was no, it? <laughs> it was. I just I already knew that, you know, the way we started off that I was going to eventually down the road. I kind of confidence. already had. The, yeah, I had the confidence, confidence. that because we clicked. From, yeah. from day one. Um, yeah, but I didn't want to kill it by being just another rather, another regular guy. Yeah. Here's an interesting fact. There were actually bets being placed on the uh, how long our relationship would last, which was kind of just evil and kind of funny because I think we've outlasted what anyone would have thought. We're like the Energizer Bunny. We are. We just keep going. We're the going. underdogs. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to bring David on in all seriousness because... Um, David doesn't come from money. David, um, his father passed away, unfortunately, when he was really young. Um, did you even finish high school? Did you? I dropped out of high school to work. Right. So David dropped out of high school. I didn't drop out. I ended up in the work program, and I had sort of this full academic scholarship. So we come from very different backgrounds, but we have really similar work ethic. And um, I think the respect that we have for each other is really what has kept us going no matter what. Um, there's not really a lot of fight. We don't really fight. It's no. just... Because I walk out, uh, I leave the house if there's a fight that's going to be started. No, you don't. I leave. He leaves the house because he can't stand being at the house. Like, we bought this amazing, like, estate, like, over 7,000 square foot house, and he's like, can't stand being there. He just wants to be on the boat. I'm an outdoorsy guy. He is. He's just a not-in-the-house kind of a guy. Exactly. Because you're not outside our house, no. actually. You just want to be away from the house. The house is great. The house is amazing. Wrong, it's like an you're, oasis. You're just used to the outdoors. It just, uh, that's, that's my go-to. Yeah. So David, um, David's dad is, um, from, was from Lebanon. And um, when I met David, um, you know, I'm, 
his family is Armenian. So that was kind of a really weird adjustment for me because I was really the only, I guess, kind of white girl coming into the family. So I thought his mom was not going to accept me or not like me. And I was kind of going above and beyond and making like homemade dolma and hummus, killing my blender, using garbanzo beans, not from the can, but actually like real garbanzo beans that I soaked for days. And she ended up, I mean, she was really cool to me. But you were supposed to marry an Armenian girl, right? You, you're supposed to to keep your parents happy. Why? That's why? why? Just to keep the tradition going. What tradition on. though? Because she cooks. What does an Armenian no, woman you just do? Wanna, you know, you marry Armenians and you have Armenian kids, and they marry Armenians, and you keep the Armenian tradition, the Armenian family values. But you don't really speak great Armenian, and you don't know the alphabet. So what traditions? I really like. Seriously, in all seriousness, no. what traditions? I just <laughs> I want to know what traditions I'm not it. upholding <laughs> as a wife. <laughs> uh, it's hard to explain, but uh, yeah, that's why um, I was single for like ten years, and I thought I was going to marry an Armenian. And right. Wasn't it like a shut up Armenian? Isn't that the sort of behind the scenes thing? Like you just stay well, at home, you changed. don't ask I think that was back questions in the days. Yeah, you <laughs> about what I'm doing. And, you know, that, yeah, I think, I think those days have changed. Yeah, which was great because I think David probably thought that I was going to be the polar opposite of what he expected. But then I remember when we first we first started, we started out as friends. I had uh, a boyfriend at the time and he was dating a multitude of, of women. Um, and we just became really good friends and we would talk about business and I had so much respect for what he had to say. And I'm going to get back to his, his, um, his story growing up, but he, um, he and I just had this really massive mutual respect. And so, you know, when we started finally dating after the fact, and I know everyone's kind of heard this story that's been listening to the podcast, um, he, I think he expected that I was. I would go out and I was a party girl and, you know, he would have to change his whole life in order to be with me. And I remember him coming to me and saying, um, you know, I've got this like, Thursday night thing, right, with the guys. And he was like sweats, like beating like on his forehead. He was like so stressed out about this. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. So you're going to go this Thursday? He's like, huh? And he's like, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Go. Right. We used to call it Chick's Night Out because yeah. my friends. Him and his friend girlfriend used to take all the girls used to go out. Right. So we named it Chicks Night Chicks Out. Chicks Night Out. And so he thought Chicks Night Out had to basically be kaputs once he got married and was with me. And I was like, no, please leave. <laughs> go out because like I have a good book to read. He was like, this is crazy. Because I, I, why would I have stopped that? That's like the strange thing is like when women and men get together and they're in a relationship, like, you know, obviously... I respected him and I trusted him enough that he wasn't going to do anything to disrespect me or our relationship. But I don't understand why that had to change. Like why? Because I think most relationships, I think, well, there's that saying when, when, when a couple gets together, the guy doesn't want the wife to change and she changes and the girl wants the guy to change and he doesn't. And that happens a lot in relationships. Right. So if the guy's out, you know, two, three, four nights a week, you know, playing their poker nights and going out nights the wife wants that to change because they're married now. But, you know, I was never that person. Like I was never that person to go out. But yeah, Thursday nights were fun because I did have a handful of the same friends. And But then we were also going to clubs and that was kind of awkward because, you know, we were in this serious relationship now and most of my guys are single, most of my friends. 
So have, going out and then having all these girls on our table, it, just, it was, I felt I was disrespecting you. So I wanted to change that up. So that's why I stopped that. Got it. But I didn't stop it. You didn't stop it. That was all me. That was all yeah. on you. But no, you would still, you would load up the motorcycles for me. And I would. Hey, it's Saturday. I loaded your dirt bike out. Get out. Call go. your friends. Go off-roading. It's up. It's all like strapped the, down in your truck. Harley out today. <laughs> so yeah, no, you are definitely a, a very, very awesome wife well thank you i didn't bring you on here to to, to blow uh, up my head i just wanted to clear that up but thank you, you. um so yeah so david's story is great because um he didn't graduate from high school he didn't go to college he didn't really have you didn't really have any clear idea right of what you wanted to do with your life i still don't know you do know <laughs> <It's> yes, <laughs> it's so funny he says that but he does know so n he had, he didn't have a business plan he didn't he had no plan he was you were a handyman right you're like, i just knew i didn't ever want to work for anybody i knew that okay and i knew that um i mean early on in my when i was what seven eight i had a paper route I was paying like twenty dollars a month that one, I, I was kind of spoiled because I'd come home from school and my dad would have all the newspapers already folded. Aww. So it was already in the bag and I Ready decided to, to put it on the bike <laughs> and go pass them out. Yeah. So, you know, we did the paper route and then, uh, you know, we had a few people around their neighborhood that would let us wash their cars and their trucks for like $3 a pop. We would mow lawns for 3 to $5. So we hustled a you lot. You were hustling. We hustled yeah. a lot. And then... Uh, Hustling in a good way. Like you weren't hustling people out of their money. You were just hard No, we were just, we knew my parents didn't have money. So, you know, I just knew I never wanted to work for anybody. And, it, you know, like. Why? Like, was your dad mistreated? What, what put that in your head? Uh, no, he just, he had, a, you know, they were all carpenters. All the men in my family right. were cabinet makers. But, you know, my grandpa, I never, uh, grandfather never met him, but supposedly he had a factory. But then when the war in, uh, I think it was in Turkey or Lebanon, uh, you know, they took that away from him. Right. So. I knew my, my dad worked in, worked really hard in a factory. You know, he'd make $300 a week, I think it was back then. So it was just your average living, but I didn't want the average living. You know, I wanted more in life. Was and your dad happy with that job, do you remember? <clears throat> I remember he was happy that he was finally retiring, and then he passed away like two years after he retired. Right. So. But was he not home very much because he was working all the time? Um, he would work. He'd be home at you know, seven. He would take the bus because he wouldn't drive the distance. Your so dad didn't drive take, either? He did, but he didn't like to drive freeways. His mother has never driven. Well, she's older now. She's in her 90s, but she has never actually put a car on a freeway. No. She like drives so fast. She used to drive fast in the streets. My friends used to say we saw all her church friends like back of their heads, like all flying all over the place, making their sharp turns. Your mom. But yeah, so I went from, uh, you know, the mowing the lawn, and then as we got a, a little older, I started uh, Atari was a huge, huge video game back in the days. I remember. I'm the same age as you. Oh, <laughs> so we used to uh, <laughs> find these Atari machines um, at yard sales and stuff, and we'd fix them up and clean them up. And You'd we'd, refurbish? We'd buy them for $5 and sell them for like 7 or nice. 8 And we did that for a while, and then we, uh, I got into going to the police auction with a friend that was over 18 at the time, and we would buy uh, bicycles from the police auctions and they put everything out in the parking lot and we'd get, we see all these nice bikes and we kind of cheat the system because we would turn the seats and lower the handlebars and take the chain off to make it look janky. Yeah. And then we'd <laughs> buy these diamond backs and red lines, which were great bikes back then. I mean, they still are for like $40. Yeah, I, a jag. I, used to, I raced uh, BMX bikes That's right. briefly. So we'd buy them for like 40 to $50. And then, uh, we had Recycler out there. We didn't have Craigslist back then. Or That's right, the Recycler. So we knew where to get the first copy of the Recycler in L.A., but um, were we driving? We weren't even driving it. 
Uh, so we'd buy these bikes for like $40 and we'd put the bars back, fix it up, put air in the tires, clean it up and sell it for like 80 or to 100 So we would flip our, double our money on flipping bicycles from the police auction. Wow, that's crazy. So we always found something to do and something to sell. And everybody used to say, you should get into real estate. You should get into real estate. We're like, I'm not even driving it. I was like 15 years old or whatever by then. Yeah. And then we started flipping uh, motorcycles. So when we, like 15, 16, we, we started, we had our first legal street bikes. And we knew exactly where, where to go get the first copy of the recycler, the headquarters in L.A. Okay. So we'd be there first thing in the morning. We'd get the recycler. We'd find like a GSXR 750 for like $2,500. My mom would be like, again, you're buying another motorcycle? And I'm like, we're flipping it. She's like, you're going to make $100. I'm like, no, this one we're going to make 500 <laughs> And then we sell it. She's like, how much did you make? We're like, you're right, 100 Oh, my god. So we would start flipping motorcycles and which is interesting. There's a guy that I listen to sometimes um, named Gary V. Um, yeah, and, like Gary. and he's cool. I mean, he cusses a lot. He, does. he cusses more than me. Um, but he's cool because he literally just tells it like it is. And he says, if you have $1,000 in your pocket, the best thing you can do is go flip it. Right? Go to Marshall's. Especially now. We didn't have that platform back then. Right. Like, you didn't have no, the social yeah, media. I mean, you had Craig. No, not you just Craig, had a newspaper. You just had recycl the recycler. recycler. Not Craigslist? Craigslist? No, Craigslist wasn't around yet. Wow, that's amazing. That was 95. We're talking 85s. So then the story that I know. So when I met David, I didn't really know what David was doing for a living. I thought he owned a motocross racing team and he had an apparel line. And that, we didn't really talk much about anything else that you were doing. And so as we got to know each other and, um, you know, we ended up getting married, um, this man literally took, what was the investment? 25000 15000 $25,000 and turned it. This was when, you know, the internet was booming and he ended up with a credit card processing uh, business. And do you know what it was worth at the, at the peak of the business? 20 million? About uh, 50 million. $50 million. He took a $25,000 investment and turned it into a $50 million corporation. But it took a long time. I mean, it took, it wasn't an overnight success. It was, it was a tough, it was about 15 years. Right. So I know we, we barely, we never even used to go to lunch anymore. We just worked. For how long? Work, how work. many years did it take? Because they say, they say in the first three years, it's like sink or swim. So it was first, first we borrowed, uh, my sister had refinanced her house. So she gave us uh, like $3,000 and then she doubled it. And then she had no money and she, she just trusted that here you go. She believed and in she you. She believed in, in me. So then as we got, we worked, I think, two years straight without making any money at all. Well, how did you not give up? Well, it made you not give up. You just believed in it? Because I, I, I was a handyman, and I, didn't, I told myself I didn't want to go back to Home Depot and go buy a screen door and go make $15 to go install. Yeah, toilet. we were already two. And then we did have, you know, we were three partners at the time, and then we had a competitor wanting, wanting to buy us out for like $125,000. And we sat down and did the math, and we're like, we can pay everybody back, and we could all make like twenty thousand each profit. And, and my partners away? actually considered it. Really? They really considered. It. I'm After like, two years in? Yeah, we're like we're we, we're in too deep. Like, no, we got to go all out of this. We, we we came this far, you know. We have to move forward. Yeah. And then we had another offer to buy ten percent. Uh, it was like a hundred thousand dollars. Another year after that. Like Shark Tank. Yeah, they wanted to buy a hundred thousand, and their their hundred thousand of ten percent would have been worth an incredible amount of money. I'm glad I fought that one. I said no. So, but it was a lot of. We never went to lunch for like ten years solid. We like we never went out to lunch. Everything was you know it started from our house, and then we went to a tiny 
office, thousand right. dollars a month, and we we ended up, you know, our overhead was like three hundred thousand dollars a month at one time. That's amazing. You know, and then yeah, I mean, it did great. It was a great run. You know, it's when PayPal started, and we were doing similar to PayPal. Right, doing but, yeah, <laughs> credit card processing. I know I didn't meet you. I met you way after that, and then you, you, you also. Here's the other thing that I I want I wanted to bring David on because for me, I've always led a very diversified life. I feel like in the beginning, you do have to kind of put your eggs in one basket because you need to have some success. But once you hit that successful kind of peak, you need to always diversify your portfolio and not just not just in the stock market and, and you know, IRAs and stuff, but just diversify your your businesses. And so that's when you so David had a restaurant nightclub in Hollywood that was really, really successful. And um, in the beginning, it was called White Lotus. Right. Right. Why did you guys name, name it that? Um, it was just the theme was, you know, Asian. OK. You did. Cool. He had an amazing sushi restaurant. It was sushi. I didn't know him when, when it was. Well, I, I don't think I'd ever been to White Lotus. Maybe I'd eaten dinner there. Funny story. He had this. Um, he, he commissioned this really cool guy. It's David Grieco's brother, right? Richard. Yeah. Is it Richard? What's his name? Grieco. David Grieco. David Grieco, which is Richard, Richard Grieco, the actor from 21 Jump Street's brother. And so amazing artist. Um, and he did this woman coming out of this flower, but it looks like a vagina. It's a white lotus. But it's a vagina. We had this vagina lady in our in our house for the longest time and i'm just like i just, even the dogs would like jump up on it and kind of look at the vagina and that's i was why they're called dogs okay but i was like <laughs> what does this even match like what do we i mean it literally takes like 10 men grown men to even move this it giant it, it looked, white lotus it looked great we we had the same one in the nightclub you had it in the so nightclub it was a great place for the nightclub yeah Maybe not for our living room, right? But it was a great piece for. So the I was really room. happy because when we switched the name, when I was with him, when he decided to switch the name, because you know, look, there's a shelf life for everything. Um, thank God, not our marriage. <laughs> shelf life for Hollywood clubs, especially, and they renamed it Ritual. Thank God he didn't bring a giant cross <laughs> into the house <laughs> for for that particular one. But um, yeah, I remember the the grand opening for that one. So yeah, so he was diversifying. Um, so he had had a lot of success, right, in the, in the, in their internet kind of online space. And then you started buying, you know, multi-units and you opened up the nightclub, right? You had a construction. Yeah, we did. I had a, a gym I never used to go to. Oh, that's right. You but had again, a gym. it was more like, you're going to make the most money on what you focus the most on. Right. So the dot-com business was our bread and butter. So even though we did the nightclub, we did a huge gym. Um, we had the motor, I had the motocross company. That's I mean, right. But all that was ran by management. It wasn't me going to all these places and running it. So I right. can't take credit for running them. But yeah, our my primary business was the dot com business, and that's where we were always at. So if we had to do meetings and had all that, they would come to our main offices. So we didn't spend much time. I know it's every guy's dream to own a nightclub, but it's the opposite. Oh, it's, so it's the worst. You just you watch it in the movies, and you, you just think you'd be the coolest guy in the world if you owned a nightclub, but it's a nightmare. It's, it is. It's because the liability you just, is horrible. Yeah, because you've got so many underage people trying to get in. You're trying to trust that your, you know, your bouncers out front are not pocketing cash and letting in people that are underage, even though they're celebrities that shouldn't be in there. Oh, we had, I remember we had Paris Hilton when she first broke out, and she's on stage smoking in her little thong 
And I was like, she's got to go. Yeah. And then the manager was like, no, do you know who that is? I'm like, I don't care. It's not <laughs> your life, liquor license. It's mine. Right. It's like, she's got to go. She can't be smoking. Okay. She can dance up there all she wants, but she get rid of her cigarette. I mean, there's no smoking allowed in here. Like, and that happened a lot. Yeah. This is the, you know, and David's the guy that literally would, he would be the last guy out of the door. He would be the one, he had a cleaning crew, but he would be picking up cups and straws and nap. Well, this was before COVID, of course, but you know, picking up the trash and helping clean up and making sure that there's no like cigarette. I mean, it's just, you're really hard hard working because there's two person. ways as an owner of a nightclub you would think the owner would be you know you walk up you go pick any girl out of the line you take her inside and you have a blast as the owner yeah i was the opposite owner i cared so if i saw you know a broken glass or i see a girl outside that seemed like she drank too much like well, all the vultures all, all are, are all over her like right. i would cover her up make sure she had a ride home like i was the opposite yeah I was a nerdy nightclub owner. Pimp with a heart. <laughs> <laughs> the undercover pimp with the, the heart. undercover. Um, yeah. So I think, look, I think David's story is, is, I don't know that it's necessarily so unique, but I, you know, I want people to hear it because, um, you know, a lot like, you know, my situation, I did not come from money. I didn't have anyone handing me the keys to any type of empire or anything. I had to build from the ground up. And, um, you know, you didn't necessarily have your father there, um, to support you. I didn't have a father either. I mean, obviously your mom, you know, loved you and, and, and was there for you. Um, but I just love the fact that, did you guys sit down? Cause when I opened my modeling agency, people said to me, what was your business plan? What did that look like on paper? And I was like, I just executed. I don't know. I just, I mean, look, a lot of people can sit around and they can make a plan and I love goals. I do. I have short-term goals. I have long-term goals. I have vision boards. I have all of that stuff. Okay. As Michael Sartain would say, all that woo shit. I have that. But if you can't execute right on that, what is that all worth? Right. That's what it all boils down to. And you're right. When I met you, like I thought you were just a model, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, obviously models make great money and you were great at it. But that's what I thought. You know, when I saw you on the cover of Maxim magazines and all these magazines, I portrayed you as just the model. So that's why. Did you why. think I was stupid? No, I don't think models are <laughs> stupid. Um, but we met. <clears throat> yes, I had the plans where I'm going to stop working. And this is the girl I'm going to go party with and retire with and travel the world with. And you were the opposite. Right. You were workaholic. You were, you know, you go to bed early. Yep. You get up early. Like totally <laughs> opposite to what I thought. And when we first met, when you pulled up, I remember you pulled up with your hat all casual. And I'm like, uh can I help you? Yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Amy Weber. Yeah, she should be here any minute. And then it's like, that's Hollywood. That's smoke and mirrors. You know, it's like you're comfortable. He was so excited. I had a brand new car. I just bought myself. What did I have? A Jaguar, Mercedes, something nice. Yeah, yeah, but you had the Jaguar. No, then you had the Mercedes. Yeah. So I pulled up in a pretty nice car that I just got, and he was sort of like. No, I even said it. Look, you look more beautiful in person. You did. You yeah, which was really sweet. So. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he definitely, everyone has a preconceived, I think, notion of, well, I think when you, you know, you're driving a nice car or something, people like think it, it's going to happen overnight. Like they're, they're, they hate on you in a way. Well, your, your friends are your bigger, biggest haters. Like yes. the people you don't know are your biggest supporters and your friends are your biggest haters. Right. But they think, you know, because you're driving a nice car that it all happened overnight. Like, what does that guy do? What is he doing? What, let's find out what he's doing. It's like, no, it took 20 years. You know, it's not an overnight success. Right. And, I think that's something most people don't see. 
No, they're not going to see the background. They're not going to see the hard work and what happens. Yeah, nobody the sees scenes. all that. Nobody sees. You know, they think. See, when you choose the nine to five, that's actually freedom. Owning your own business isn't really freedom. Sure. Nine to five is freedom, right? Because you know, at five, you know, people leave at four forty-eight, four forty, four fifty. They're out. Their life is planned. They're Their not thinking about it. They don't have any they vested interest well. whether this business is going to sink care. or swim. They don't care. Like we we work from the time we open our eyes to the time we go to bed. Right. I mean, look at you with your phone. It's, it goes crazy. People have no respect on what time they call you That's for true. work, right? That's it's, true. You know, being in, especially in your line of business of the real estate, you know, they're not going to say it's five o'clock. Let me not call her. You know, you got a phone call at two in the morning. Yeah. Here's another interesting thing. So, so David was started flipping houses. I was also investing in real estate way before I met David in my twenties. Um, and so we had kind of that similar interest in that. But when I started real estate, it was really born out of, you know, we had had these miracle twins and I knew I couldn't go back into the entertainment industry because that sort of pulled me all over the world. And I didn't have a lot of control over, am I going to be in like Botswana one day and Canada the next? And, you know, where am I going to be? And I don't, I don't want that life for my children, especially because they were premature, and so, you know, kind of figured, well, I'll get into the real estate space. And I remember it was so cute because, um, yes, I obviously will sell all of David's um, flips that he has. But a very short time into it, I literally I had so much business outside yeah. of David's um, flips. I had so many other sellers that were trusting me, you know, with with this big investment, not just, you know, flippers, but just everyday people selling their house or wanting to, you know, buy a house. And so everyone, of course, was like, oh, of course, all the listings that she's getting are her husband's and she's not working. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, First thing they all do is go check title to see if it's mine or not. Yeah. Yeah, is it but that was pretty sneaky on how you got your license. What because do you, mean? you were you you were we were doing the music. I was singing. We right. were singing, and then uh, when you found out, um, we had the house in Encino. I'll never forget. And you're like, uh, so who? I remember this story. Okay, here we go. Who's listing that? And I go, my friend Max. He's been my agent for twenty something years, twenty five years. And you were like, but hold on one second. So you have a three million dollar house. And your friend's not going to give you like a listing, like a whole pitch, like you just hand it to him and he makes his two to three percent. I'm like, yeah. Like, so that's it. He gets all your listings. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, he's my agent. And then you did the live performance. Oh, yeah. I had, to go, I had to go down to the Bob Hope um, and for the troops. I had to sing you for the troops. You sang live for the troops. And I then when live. you were done, you're like, oh, by the way, I got my license this morning. Oh, yeah. And you didn't tell anybody. Oh, yeah. I studied. I forgot that whole part. You were the first one out. You're like, I left early. I finished. And the, and the guy was like, where are you going? You got to finish the test. You're like, yeah, I finished it. I'm done. Oh, yeah. Because the test. So the real estate um, salesperson exam is a three hour exam. But I finished it in 45 minutes. And I just assumed because I was putting this band together at the last minute to to sing for the troops right. that I probably didn't pass. Um, and so I remember when I walked out because I don't know, they say don't open the envelope until you get out the door. I'm thinking, is there like blue ink? Like if you rob a bank, how yeah. that blue ink was going to go everywhere. And so when I was leaving, people were looking at me like, are you going to the bathroom? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done <laughs> they're, And they're just like, what? you know what? And I'm thinking, Oh God, I really, screwed this up because everyone else is just so diligently still working on their computers. Right. And even the people at the front, when I said, I'm done, they're like, are you sure you're done? I'm like, yeah, I'm done. 
And then, I don't know, it was such a shock. I got to the car and it tells you right there. It says you passed. Congratulations. Um, yeah, 45 Yeah, minutes. so you did this awesome live live show for the troops. I did at LAX. And then uh, you're like, oh, by the way, I got my license and I'm your new agent. Yeah, and so when can I get into C and C now? Yeah, I remember yeah. that first house. They had like a Lakers basketball court, right? Like a sport yeah. court. Oh my goodness, the fact that you trusted me. But yeah, listen. And you, look at you now. Look at me now. Big time luxury listing agent. Podcast. And podcast. Look Post. at this. Your beautiful setup. You do everything you put your mind to. Homeschooling, mother, cook. So a lot more hyphens on uh, your intro you need to add. Hyphens? Oh. I know. I was saying I was the queen of hyphens. <laughs> I think J-Lo has me beat, but but yeah. Look. No, because when we met, you were still in WWE and, and you and you had your modeling agency. Modeling agency and, and I was writing still, a book. You wrote your book. Right. And, uh, and what else did you have? And you're in, investing in real estate. Right. Yeah. Look, I, I think we all come from different backgrounds, right? Different walks of life. My childhood could not have been more different than your childhood. But yet, um, I think the common denominator between both of us is that we, when we want something so badly and we put our mind to it, there's nothing that will stop us from achieving that goal. And our hustle is, our hustle game is strong. We are, we're, we're, we're very punctual. Yes. You and I, that's when I really, really loved you even more when yes. you were always on time. I can't stand people that are late. And you're right. We put our mind to something and we'll do it. Like if, if we're same way you did with this show, you know, you just put it out there you said you wanted it and you did it. Like there's just so many, a, a lot of people, like you go back to the word execute. So a lot of people give us ideas. Like I got one on the way here of an idea, but ideas are so easy. Right. But it's the execution. That's the hard part. You follow know, through the follow through and just making it happen i know people hit us up all the time do you want to invest in this do yeah. you want to invest in that and it's just i don't know if our heart or passion we don't have that passion for it if it's not one of our whys right that oh, i'll gonna... never forget when we went to when i when i found that location for a lounge in pasadena and i'd gone there and we negotiated i negotiated it was like eight restaurants had been there they all had failed and it was right next to it's not the palm was it near no the palm? it was uh, in the it was at the the Playhouse in Pasadena. We okay. took the huge uh, theater, but it was like an oh, I remember that an elderly. It was an elderly group that would come to the theater. Right. Were you want to make tapas or something? Were you wanting to do? Well, something? yeah. So then I had this. We went. We done deal. It was ours. I, I spoke to the manager of the theater. Like, why is this place failed all the time? It's like, and then we're like, okay, so here's what we'll do with this place. You know, we'll we'll put a jazz bar outside. And, you know, all these seniors that come in for the theater, they would come early, enjoy the jazz music or on the way out. So it was a no brainer. So we were moving forward and I brought you and I brought the kids and you're like, this is <laughs> brilliant. There's one problem. And I'm like, what? It's outdoor seating. It's perfect. And you're like, you don't like jazz. <laughs> and I was like, true. yeah, you're right. I'm not a big jazz person, you know, like yeah. I would rather do a lounge, like a, like a Cabo Cantina, Cantina lounge, right. Like, right? So a jazz bar would not entice me to go there every day to go to work. Right. So you have to love what you do. And you, you killed that idea, but you didn't kill it. You were 100 percent right. Right. It would have failed because I did not. I would not have enjoyed it. Yeah. You wouldn't have had the passion to get through the speed bumps that every business has. Right. We all go through it. Which is now a taco place. Trio's Tacos. Is it really? 
I don't know if it's still there, but yeah. Trejo, that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Love him. He's so versatile. Yeah. But yeah, we definitely put our minds to stuff and we do it. But again, a lot of uh, what I don't like is, you know, a lot of these millionaires and billionaires always tell people, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. And I think that's kind of not encouraging to a lot of people. Yeah. Because when when someone in their caliber are telling people that maybe have $500, $1,000, $10,000 saved up, and then you're telling them it's okay to fail, but it could have taken them a long time to save that $1,000. So I don't think someone's going to go out and put everything they have and it's okay to fail because then where does that leave them? So I was always kind of against when people say that. That they're going to fail? Well, they say you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. It's okay to fail, but it's easy to say that as a millionaire. Well, that's a cop-out too. That's an excuse. Like, yes. well, you know, because so-and-so told me that I'm going to fail. I guess yes, I was just they're putting it out fail. there. Why not come in and say you're, you're going to be successful? You that's know? true. Listen, the the um, the whole, you know, the answers always um, no unless you ask came from this guy. Yeah. And we just, we don't say the word can't in our house. We're all just can. You can. If you put your mind to it, you can. And we tell our kids that all the time. Yep. So... Um, well, I am just, you know, obviously publicly very blessed to have such a cool partner and husband and amazing dad. It took me a really, really long time. Um, you know, I know a lot of people get early, you know, married early in life and then, you know, for whatever reason it works, or it doesn't work. I just personally had no idea who, who I was, right? Even in my twenties and I still had, I felt like I just had so much people call it baggage. I just had a lot of little moving parts that I wanted to kind of not bring into a relationship that was going to be my, my, you know, final relationship and, and marriage really. So, um, thank you so much for flying in and for your time and your honesty and for sharing with my listeners, you know, basically your story. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for being the most amazing wife. <laughs> I paid him to say that. Oh uh, my goodness. That is not paid. That's coming out of my heart. Oh, so I funny. tell people that, you know, you're the smartest person I know and your looks was just a bonus. That's good because so, they're fading. Uh, they're not <laughs> fading. They're fading quickly. You are like wine. Okay. If we're getting in a little bit too deep here. <laughs> like, the audience members are like, like vomiting. Um, hey, happy marriages do exist. They do. Yeah. Listen. Don't um, give up hope on that either. Their work. But look, you, you can't, like you said, you can't go into something looking to change someone. You have to basically know that marriage is just going to enhance any problems that you're having prior. Luckily, we didn't really have any problems. Well, you said it was kind of like a business in the beginning. I did. So if there was issues, you know, you talk about it. It's you true. Know, you have a conference. It was a business. Room. I kept my own checking. We kept everything separate. I think I think your head almost blew up when I asked you to sign a prenup. Yeah, thanks. People <laughs> <Just laughs> like, like, what do you mean? I'm like, uh, and I remember my attorney at the time was just like, well, he's offering this. I'm like, Why, what am I going to do with that kind of money every month? Like, I don't need that. I, I want to cut it down and, you know. Very independent. Yeah. Yeah. Very independent. But look, that's, that's just me. Um, I just, I don't want to take someone's hard earned money. Like your business before me has nothing to do with me. I wasn't standing by your side while you weren't eating lunch or bringing you peanut butter and jelly that we scraped together from the dollar store. I mean, I wasn't a part of that. Yeah. But I was waiting for you to do like a $20 million movie so I can have half. Which exactly why the prenup oh, is that iron clad. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you so much, babe. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. Again, I really appreciate all the support, the listeners, the watchers, and the subscribers. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. And until next time, we'll see you later.